You're listening to She Bake, a podcast for and about women in Australian beekeeping. Find us on Instagram, she underscore beak, that's S-H-E underscore B-E-E-K, and on Facebook, She Beak. Hey, Kathy. Hi, Joe. Long time no talk. Sure is. Sure is. So we've got a bit to talk about and um, a bit to sort of catch up on and uh, talk about what's coming up as well. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to catching up and, you know, comparing notes has been really cool. So since we sort of got to know each other and sort of um, looking at what's going on in your neck of the woods and what's the weather like and what are the bees doing and what are the seasonal things that might be happening in your apiary compared to mine and then what are our other friends and colleagues doing, I just I think that's really helpful and it's um it seems that people who are listening to us are finding that interesting and useful and relatable as well. So I just love to have that catch up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So on that note, what what has been happening up in uh, sunny or is it not so sunny Queensland at the moment? Yeah, we're enjoying a bit of the wet weather, which is good. Um, Mm. But what that means is that the bees kind of stay, well, they they use up their stores, right? So it's quite rainy. It's been fairly rainy. We've had fairly long periods of rain with a few days of drier sort of spells in between, but quite, it's coming you know storms again now and it's you know it's consistently fairly rainy Mm. so what that tends to mean is that the bees are using up stores so they're not really um they haven't really had this big crop in late summer they tend to be consuming that Mm -hmm. and so yeah there's not quite as much honey on available at the moment as what you might otherwise find and yeah um now the weather's turned a little bit colder as well you know being post um being after anzac day it's sort of well you know this is now downtime when you know you pack the bees down and tend to leave them alone until the weather turns again so there's you know there's a bit less to be doing in the apiary mm-hmm. um what, what are you doing in regards to that though so if you're finding that their stores are low do you do feeding up there well i personally haven't but i do know I do know others who do, and it's a matter of checking um, and gauging whether they've got pollen on reserve, if they've mm-hmm. got pollen pollen reserves in their, in and around the brood, or if not, then supplement some pollen. If they're bringing in nectar, if not, then supplement um, a sugar syrup or um, a sugar substitute. So, yeah, I personally haven't been feeding my bees, but then on balance, I haven't been robbing them either. So, you yeah. know, yeah. Being, being busy and then, you know, any spare minute it's um it's either raining or something else sort of, you know, soaks up your time. So, yeah, no, I haven't I haven't done either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about yourself? Yeah, so, look, fairly similar. We've had a, a bit of a strange season over summer in that it, we didn't really get the, the hot temperatures. We got sort of rain on and off, wasn't particularly high temperatures uh, and... Yeah, the bees didn't seem to do as well this season as they had the previous season. Mm. I mean, we, we still got a bit of honey out of some of the hives. But, I, I mean, the thing with, with us, though, as well, is that we had quite a number of uh, swarms that we caught that were, you know, still getting themselves established anyway. Didn't lose any of them. They've all done really well. 
Um, but, you know, they're, they're building up sort of slowly, I guess you'd say. So um, we I have done a bit of feeding, so um, just with a couple that weren't doing so well. And because the temperatures do get down, you know, they can get they have been getting down like, you know, 15, 14, 13 even, you know, so quite quite cool down here. We mm. really can't get into them at all. Mm. Um, but did manage to get in uh, and, you know, get them packed down for, for winter. So that was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess um, all around Australia, you know, the temperature varies but people will have been, you know, at, at this time of year, reducing the number of supers on hives and, and bringing them down for winter. Um, it would be interesting to hear from others like in Tasmania or in South Australia or over in the west or further in the north what the differences are there in terms of um, reducing the hives or, yeah, because there's quite a lot of variation even just within one state. There's lots of variation. depends on your altitude and your microclimate in the area where you are. That's right, yeah. So I think we spoke a bit about that last year um, in regards to, you know, with, with your hives a lot of the time you can leave sort of two boxes on but, you know, whereas down Melbourne where it gets quite cold, it's usually better to if you've um, got them packed down into one if possible mm. over winter. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. So you said you um your swarms had... Your swarms are still going well. That's you know, congratulations. That's good to hear. What yeah. was what was the latest that you captured a swarm? Just curious. Oh, that's a very good question. They were all early season, so they were all would have been about November, I would say. I think mm-hmm. it would have been. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, didn't really have much. I think it maybe had maybe one after that, but my, I think it was all by November that mm-hmm. I caught the bulk of those swarms and. You know, I think I've, I said to you last year that a lot of them were from the very same area in not far from where I live, um, in the same street even, we had a couple. So, yeah, oh, interesting. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, so if you've if you've captured swarms around November, they're nearly six months old by now. So, yeah, they should be, they should be okay, well-established okay to get through winter on their own. Whereas yes. if, you, if you'd captured a late swarm in, say, February or even March, you know, there were there were some swarms popping up around late January in my area. Okay, um, yeah. But, yeah, if you'd captured a swarm in February, you wouldn't hold an awful lot of hope for it at this point of the year without having fed it or supplemented it or combined it with another colony. But that's another story for another day. Yeah, yeah. And um, I actually did manage to successfully combine a couple of uh, – the swarms as well so a couple of the smaller ones um i did the com- combination with the newspaper in between okay. um, didn't even pinch off a queen or anything we basically let them sort themselves out and they've survived quite well so just because that the first time i read that the newspaper method i i started flicking through looking for indexes and like glossaries and what do you mean the newspaper method what do you mean what do you mean just for the benefit of anyone listening can you just tell us what that newspaper method means joe yeah, so I had a couple of um, small swarms that, um, you know, they were, they were quite quite small and um, I thought it might be better if we could combine, um, you know, one that was quite small with one that was a bit stronger. So what I did was um, the smaller box, I kept that on the bottom and then we put um, two sheets of newspaper in between that we put slits through 
and then put the other brood box on the top. Um, and it basically allows them to combine at a slower rate, you know, as the, the pheromones mix through the hive and they essentially sort each other out. And then because the top box is the stronger one, it's having to move through the bottom box to come and go. Um, and it was a successful merge. So pretty easy, really. I know, um, you know, some people can have difficulties with it, but we, we did two that way and it worked. So. Okay. And the bees just kind of like they they tear away, they pull apart the newspaper and exactly, like yeah. they they chew their way through it, and so they can yeah the bees in the upper box can move down through, and the bees in the lower box can go up. And, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. So interesting. So yeah, that that was actually um, yeah a successful way to do it for us. So, mm. and I'm interested to. Um, follow up on the flow hive what's the been the fate of your flow hive yeah so look we didn't have any luck with them coming up into the flow super so i think if we try again next season i i would try probably with um what i've seen other people do which, which is actually you know, painting wax onto the frames to see if I can get them to move in. And there was certainly activity up in the in the flow frames, but they weren't really doing very much at all. I tried putting sugar syrup on. Somebody had suggested putting a bit of sugar syrup on the frames. Um, but, again, no, it didn't really, you know, encourage them up there at all. Um, I was getting a bit worried because they were increasing and they weren't moving up into it that I was going to end up with them swarming. And because I live on a fairly small block and I'm quite in quite close proximity to, to you know, to neighbours and people with, you know, smaller kids and things like that, I was really quite wary about that. So I did end up putting an extra box on and then, you know, the flow super. But, um, yeah, I think uh, it's just a matter of, I think, trying again next year with that. <laughs> So the the colonies still in the brood chamber, still occupying the lower box. They just didn't use the flow box. Yeah, so they were quite a um, a lovely colony. They're really nice bees. They were doing really well. We got some honey out of even um, down in the brood box, and then in the um, super that we put on top of that. But they just did not utilize the flow frames at all. Mm. Mm, interesting that's a it's an all it's a quite a common story actually I've heard that many times yeah Um, but yeah oh well just to compare just to compare the southern with the northern kind of notes I guess Mm -hmm. um I'm looking after a few flow hives here on the gold coast and um they seem to do quite well one of the concerns is that it's an eight frame um, box set up so you've got eight frames for the brood and then you've got you know either seven or six or whatever combination of hybrid type sort of flow frame cartridges and regular frames in the honey supers mm-hmm. the, the concern with that is well it's an eight frame it's an eight frame colony in the brood chamber is the colony going to outgrow the space and you know are they more at risk relatively more at risk of swarming but mm-hmm. I don't I don't have any first hand experience of that. The colonies that I'm looking after are staying at about an eight frame capacity in the brood chamber. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe they're slower, maybe they're just not quite as active 
the queens are, you know, maybe they're just genetically less active, but they haven't tended to outgrow those boxes and I haven't had swarms from the flow hive um, hives that I'm running at the minute. So, And they yeah. actually are utilising the flow frames though? Yeah, they were when I inherited these, well, when we rescued these hives, you know, because we kind of we kind of inherited them from someone who was no longer able to care for them. Right. Um, they were already, um, they were already kind of using their, their honey supers, which were the, the hybrid chambers with um, some flow cartridges and some regular sort of wooden frames. Right. So, yeah, they were, they were already, had already previously been using those. Um, so when I inherited these hives, it was uh, around Anzac Day, I think. So we were, we were knocking them down into just brood chambers for the for the winter. Mm-hmm. The the supers went back on in spring, and yeah, away we go. So yeah, they they have produced a fair bit of honey in the flow frames. One thing though, the ants are really really problematic. They'll get in any little nook and cranny, and um, I'm finding colonies of ants nesting behind the windows that you can the wooden windows that you can pull out they're inside the little plastic knobs and and caps and lids and things and mm. like the ants will get in anywhere so yeah it's a real it can be a real problem especially yeah. when you want to when you want to tap off the honey you un you undo the windows and open the hatches and things, and there's just colonies of ants in oh, there. Geez, yeah. I mean, look, we had the um, we had ants as well getting into ours, and then we had the um, the legs on that were sitting in bowls with water. We had Vaseline on the legs. We tried tried everything. I think that was the, the, what what worked in the end was the combination of the Vaseline and the and the legs actually sitting in the water bowls so that the ants couldn't get across. Mm-hmm. Um, so that slowed them down. But we did have an, quite a bit of an issue with spiders getting under the lid. Um, and the other thing was mould in the lid. Mold. So, yeah, yeah, we got quite a bit of mould in in the lid, um, which sort of even though we, you know, painted all the, the woodwork, it actually sort of got into like the wood grain as well. So I'm going to have to sort of um, before next season sand all that back and, redo that lead again so that was a bit of a shame well that's interesting that's yeah that's quite interesting that you mentioned that because i know with the um the the timber that the flow hives were made from like the really nice it looks so pretty when you first get it but as soon as it sits outside in the sun for a little while it starts to weather and it Mm. goes gray it turns gray yes yeah yeah yeah. um but and you have to keep oiling it and it's so thirsty it takes heaps and heaps and heaps of oil to really soak into that timber yeah but i wonder if um maybe maybe a problem with circulation or or moisture was the mold on the inside or the outside um both yeah oh my gosh yeah inside and outside and we we followed the tips for for getting the air circulation improved so um, you know, we took out the back hatch um, and, you know, did a couple of things to try and alleviate it, but it, um, yeah, it didn't seem to make a difference. So, and it went, as I said, you know, the weather's got a lot to do with it. We did have um, quite a bit of rain and humidity earlier on. So, um, 
I think that's impacted it as well. But you know, look, we'll we'll give it a go again next season. For this for this season, we've we've just put them back into you know normal normal boxes and packed them down with with um, you know the flow hive packed away for the for the winter. So yeah. So then there's that leads to another question: How do you store frames if there's a little honey in there, or if there's some you know, some residues or if they're a bit sticky. And I've been seeing questions and answers all about this on on online forums as well, you know, what to do with frames that you've taken off after you've packed down for winter. So what do what did you do with your extra gear? So you're talk are you talking about the the flow frames or just our, my general frames, you mean? Um well both, I guess. Yeah. So um with with the general frames, because we were using we, we used a combination of methods for, for harvesting. So um obviously with the ones we were doing cutouts for, we just need to completely um clean them down and, and you know, scrape off all the wax and um get them cleaned up and ready to be rewaxed next season. Um We've actually purchased a freezer now, so um, a chest freezer to actually fit the frames in so that we can, you know, put them in the freeze, the deep freeze and kill any lurgies that might be on them, but also good for storing any sort of um, stickies that you want to potentially give back to your hive or, or storing some honey frames that you might need sort of, you know, later down the track. So, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. what about you, Kathy? Um, yeah, well, if I'm going to cut the wax, um, all the wax off a frame, I'll probably pull the wires out of it um, so that it's easier to cut all the wax off. And then the frame itself probably hasn't got much on it, so I just hang them up somewhere mm-hmm. um, and I render down all the wax. If the frame has got wires and wax and it's a sticky or it's partially drawn or I've extracted it, I keep them in the in the deep freezer. Um yep. Oh, not the not deep freeze the chest freezer I should say sorry the chest freezer um and then if it's if it's a frame that I've taken off and it's got a bit of honey in it maybe it's got some nectar that's not yet capped or maybe it's you know in various stages of being developed I can I can keep them in the freezer too so I do have a combination of all those things like same as what you said I've got a combination of all of that stuff in the freezer at the moment mm-hmm. I've even I've even got some plastic flow cartridges in the freezer too mm-hmm. because they did have a bit of honey in them and I took them off one of those hives and haven't put them back on again. But before yeah. I put before I put anything with actual honey back onto the beehive, I'll take it out of the freezer for about a day and let it um, come to room temperature sort of in a yeah. in, in a super box. Yeah. With a lid, with a lid and a base on it, so that nothing can get into that. Yes, following your biosecurity, of course. <laughs> yeah, I keep it in the shed, but it's um, so it's sealed up inside my my honey room, yeah. but it's it's got a like a tray underneath it and a lid on top of it, just so that they come up to temperature before I chuck them in the beehive because I don't really want to put the frozen cold things into the bees. No, that would be very kind, would it? Mm, yes. Yeah. Well, I had um, an interesting experience when we were doing our winter pack down. I'd um, very carefully put my suit on. I'm always very, very careful. I always 
check the zips and I get my husband to check my zips and I make sure everything's tucked in and zipped up and everything else. Mm. Got to our second last box. Somehow they've found their way in, haven't they? So I had oh. multiple, multiple bees inside my suit. Oh, oh. did you did you mm. get stung? I did. I got stung on the back of my neck. So oh. Which is never good. Necks, necks are never, never a good place to get stung. I'm glad it was on the back and not sort of, you know, the front or the side. But um, no, that wasn't a fun experience at all. Oh dear! And mm. did you have much of a reaction? No, I mean it was. I felt like I'd been punched in the neck for about three or four days. But um, no, it was, it was okay. And look, as I said before, we carry an EpiPen with us. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, you might have 20 non-reactions and suddenly have a reaction. And I have actually read, Kathy, have you seen this too across the uh, different platforms that there's been? I don't know whether it's, I have no idea what it's related to, but I I've, I've have read that there's been, I think this season, some more severe reactions in, than in the past. Have you read murmurs of that at all? Well, not specifically, but I do know a story of one friend who um, was involved with bees and uh, got started in beekeeping and um, she was very keen and and had built beautiful hives and maybe I'll have to call her up and do an interview with her, but then gradually developed um, a response. So after beekeeping for maybe two years, I think, mm-hmm. um, the 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 response to the stings just became more and more severe and she had to give them away. Yeah, it is, seems to be a bit of a common story down here as well. Um, unfortunately, we had a similar story with a lady in our bee group who had a sting, not even doing beekeeping, just in her garden and yeah. um, had a very major reaction. So she's just mm. to give that up as well. But um, I have also seen a number of people doing the desensitisation courses. Have you seen them as well? So how does that work? So I think it's an exposure thing. So you, you do it under, you know, obviously medical supervision where they slowly give you small amounts of, of bee venom and, you know, get you used to it, You get, get your system used to it in a supervised environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it'd be, yeah, I guess it would be interesting to find out more about that as well. If anyone listening has done the desensitisation exposure therapy, please get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you about what it was like. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, so now that it's downtime for beekeeping activities, it's go time for conferences and meetings. Um, Joe, there's heaps of things happening. There would have been the Victorian Recreational Beekeepers Association would have had their gig in Geelong, I think, just just yep. now. This weekend past, yeah, yeah. And um, some fantastic speakers there. I hope that lots of lots of people managed to get along and to attend and enjoy. Um, there's also there's state conferences in. Um, in all states, I think, through the next three months. I know up here in Queensland, we've got the Queensland Beekeeping Beekeepers Association is having their annual conference and field day at the start of June. So I'll be yeah. looking forward to that. Um, then there's the virtual hobby 
conference, the Virtual Hobby Beekeepers Conference, which that is same weekend, isn't it? Yeah, June the fifth. Mark your diary. Do not miss out. Um, that's that's one definitely not to be missed. Last year it was so it was just so much fun. Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? It was really good, and um, I think they've shortened it a bit this uh, coming uh, year, so that. Um, you know, they've got condensed it a little bit and put more breaks in because, you know, obviously you're sitting in front of a screen to do it, but really enjoyable and some really good speakers. So definitely get um, on board with that. You can look yeah. it up on all the socials. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, there's there's a research conference over in WA, which I, I wish I could get to. Uh, it's just it's not going to happen. Um, mm. But, you know, where you get all of the – you know, the researchers and the entomologists and the PhDs and the people looking at parasites and genetics and all of that stuff, you know, when you get really sort of into the nitty-gritty and into the technical side of, you know, engineering bees or changing farming practices and stuff like that, really cool stuff. Mm. Um, it's the next level. Um, then there's, let me think, um, oh, we've got in New South Wales there's the Amateur Beekeepers Association are having their conference, I think, towards the end of August. Mm -hmm. So that should be really good. And um, there'll probably be like a, a field day or an open day for club members to attend that, which is, you know, they're always really informative and worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, after that we'll be back into spring, won't we? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think last year the um, the swarming sort of started around um, around the end of July, and yeah. then we also had more. Uh, you know, we had more because people were saying, "Well, I was going to wait until September to inspect my bees again." Well, no, that would that was way too late in yeah. in Queensland. So, yeah. yeah, don't be shy to start inspecting soon. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anyway, we can talk about spring later. We've got plenty of conferences to go to, plenty of people to meet, plenty of things to talk about before we get back into spring. Yeah, definitely. And I know I know personally I've got a shed full of stuff I need to build. I've got boxes of frames. I've got sheets of wax foundation. I've got things I've got to paint. I've got heaps and heaps of prep work to do. Same here. Definitely heaps to keep us busy over the winter months and uh, – and obviously we'll have some more content coming up as well. So do you want to tell us a bit about what um, we've got coming up, Kathy? I, I did a really a really in-depth interview with Kate Bamford from Australian Women in Beekeeping. And, you know, Kate is an absolute inspiration and she's just a guiding light, I think. She's the part of the reason why we're talking to each other right now is because a Weber's are chatting away online and connecting people and I just have to say hats off to Kate and Kelly and the rest of the AWIB crew um, because, you know, without that, without someone bravely sort of um, carving a path and and giving everything um, a, a red-hot go and getting in there and making it happen, without Kate and Kelly making this stuff happen, we wouldn't have these amazing things like the Virtual Hobby Beekeepers Conference or um, the AWIB community or even the SheBeak podcast. wouldn't have even happened without AWIB. So I had a really in-depth talk with Kate. Um, she's just got boundless energy. She's got 
complete enthusiasm and total optimism and nothing will stop her and i just i'm just amazed by her by her just her approach is just fantastic she's got so much energy yeah really looking forward to having a listen to that so we will um obviously have a bit more time over winter hopefully to to keep some more podcasts coming through to you if again if you've got any suggestions and anything you particularly want to talk about um anyone you want to suggest that we talk to get in touch with us on the socials um obviously on on facebook um or insta you can see us there and uh we'd love to hear from you yeah i'd I'd sure like to keep this rolling you know i'm really enthusiastic still about what we started joe and um there's heaps of people still that i I'd love to talk to some some ideas come and go, but you know I think this one's worth holding on to, and um, as all of that beekeeping gear sort of manages to creep its way into my lounge room again through the colder months, I'll be, you know, I'll be thinking of things that I want to chat to you about, and um, and hopefully some you know talking to some people from other parts of Australia and see what's going on with them as well. Brilliant. Look forward to it. Thanks so much. And, um, yeah, talk again soon. All right. You take care, Cathy. See ya. You're listening to She Beak, a podcast for and about women in Australian beekeeping. Find us on Instagram, she underscore beak, that's S-H-E underscore B-E-E-K, and on Facebook, She Beak. 